All right, everybody. I'm so excited for our next guest. Her name is Kate Kennedy. She hosts the podcast Be There in Five. She's an entrepreneur, an author. So thank you so much for coming on. I've been really excited about this one. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of your work. Oh, thank you. Well, I was going to save this for last, but you are one of the reasons I started a podcast. No way. Because I was genuinely afraid to do a one-person podcast. Then after listening to like you and Danny Pellegrino, I'm like, okay, maybe I can do it. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, it's so underrated. I mean, it's, it's a, it would be so much work to get guests and to vibe with them all. And it's good to do them sometimes, but be able to rely on yourself solo, especially because podcasts thrive in niche and, you you know, you're able to communicate your interests yeah, uh, as just you. And it's I, I, I have a good time with it. Yeah, for sure. But I just wanted to say that I wanted to let you know that you're inspiring others to make podcasts about nostalgic stuff. That's so cool. I love that. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did you get your start? I mean, I know, but some of my followers might not know. And you kind of have an interesting start to be there in five and kind of everything that came along with it. Yeah, I, I'm trying to get better about summarizing this more quickly because it's a little windy. But long story short, I worked in corporate America in media uh, market research for about six years. And then while I was there, I was going to the office every morning paranoid about you know, bring my house down all over Rachel Green with a curling iron. And kind of looked at my doormat one day and I was like, this thing, this is welcome. Like, why not, with seeing me in my home, why not see me on my way out? Invented something called the Remind Doormat where I put reminders on doormats for people running late like me and named it Be There in Five kind of as a salute to one of my biggest flaws and the type of person that would probably need this product. And um, yeah, I went viral, had to leave my job eventually, ramped it up, sold Nordstrom on Wayfair, the mat business like took off kind of realized halfway in that uh, this isn't like what I want for my life. <laughs> I, I was proud of the business I had built, but I think cat, in a category sense, I didn't want to have a rug empire. The, the <laughs> learning for me was more about my, like one of my ideas worked. I have other ideas. I was more interested in being an entrepreneur than a small business owner. So I kind of kept pivoting. Um, I wrote a book, got a book deal uh, called, it's called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. It's a parody book where mother's teaching a child about um, social media through the lens of a fake social media uh, platform called Once Upon a Timeline, and nursery rhyme characters explain to the kid how social media works. Uh, and like, you know, little Bo Peep has a GoFundMe for her lost sheep, <laughs> little Miss Duffet sells, you know, curds and whey protein, the whole thing. Um, so that was, the, I wrote that book, and that was kind of the first pivot. And then this podcast is really a product of I worked alone for so so many years, and podcasts were the company I kept. And you know, it's a cluttered space. It's been a cluttered space for a long time, but I think there's always a white space. There's always room. And I wanted to talk about pop culture in a more analytic format. I felt like the E newses of the world were kind of just telling you what happened, but I wanted to talk about like what it means in a long format because those are the types of podcasts I like. And the podcasting industry loves to tell women to be short and to uh, niche down. And I was like, I'm going to go broad and long. This is going to work. <laughs> uh, but it kind of came full circle and it's been going well uh, the past couple of years. And yeah, so Be There in Five pivoted into a podcast. I still have the IP and everything for the mats and I'm kind of working on something with that in the background. And yeah, so kind of a weird multipreneurial journey. <laughs> That's awesome, though. It's awesome that you don't you know, life's not about just one straight route to anything. So it's really cool that you do have all those pivots and you've been able to really work it. 
Yeah, I think like it's it's a funny thing. It's you almost develop a everything I've done is pretty objectively embarrassing, if I'm honest. And I think I develop a tolerance to pe- the people's response, and I think people are scared to do things because people are like, really, everyone that's a podcast or what, whatever it is. And I think you almost get addicted to trying things and re- trying to figure out where your potential can really live. And it's been really fun trying new things, and I'm forever trying to explain it in a way that's not confusing. But um, I wouldn't trade it also. So. so getting into the pop culture of it all, this is a question I think I know the answer to, but I'm excited to listen to you go through it. Mm-hmm. If you could be cast in any WB or CW show, what show would it be and why? And you know I'm going to say Gilmore Girls. I do. (laughs) (laughs) That is my, that is my cornerstone. That is the, anything on those networks, like I kind of dabbled in like One Tree Hill and the like, but Gilmore Girls was like my show. What was it about Stars Hollow that just drew you in? I mean, Stars Hollow is this, uh, it's a quirky utopia with a cast of, characters his development is so specific and so (laughs) consistent and I love the idea of a small town where people are in each other's business but the banter is it's quick it's quippy it's quick it's filled with pop culture references and it's intelligent and it wasn't you know I grew up in the south and I my perception of small towns is very different than what Stars Hollow was Stars Hollow is the ultimate cozy New England town um, that doesn't exist where, you know, a modern feminist woman who was in an perceived to be in an undesirable circumstance really made it a great life for herself and her daughter. And I love the dynamics between generations that they created. I, I love, I mean, I just, yeah, I love Amy Sherman Palladino just in general. I think she's a brilliant uh, s- screenwriter. Now, of course, this is the Laguna Biatch podcast. So I have some Laguna questions for you. Laguna and Hills. Back in 2004, were you more team Kristen or more team Lauren? Such a Kristen. I had a side bang. I wore <laughs> layered double tunics, pulled down as far as I could over my, you know, seven, eight pocket jeans. I spent my entire California pizza kitchen paycheck on. Um, I wanted an Azuzu, the whole thing. I loved, I loved Kristen. I thought she was, I was kind I'm not very straightforward as a person. I'm kind of like, I can skew a little shyer. Um, but I kind of would channel her bitchiness. I was very attracted to her brand of mean girl um, because she just kind of owned it. And I, I love that she showed up to the black and white party in a white dress and everyone was like, oh my, can you believe this? And I'm like, it's a literal dress code. People kind of gave her too hard of a time, I think. And uh, yeah, I, I really, really loved Kristen. And I, I found Lauren, I don't know, I just never really identified with her and she was a bit whiny for me or something. Did that change when the Hills started with Lauren or was it always kind of like, all right, we get it. We get it, Lauren. We know who you are. It's funny. I don't know if I ever know knew I thought this until I'm now saying it because I feel like I, the way I'm talking, I really am not into Lauren. But I always thought she was a very mild personality to anchor a show. And the show is so contingent upon these really dynamic side characters and I get that she has value in that kind of neutrality, but you throw in the headbands, the fried straightener bangs, the, the, the first episode when she straight, what's it called? Like irons her skirt with a hair straightener. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all, it's all so iconic and important. And I watched every minute of it, but I guess as an adult, my reflection on Lauren is like, 
you're way too involved in your friends' relationships. Like, relax. <laughs> See, I think I'm I think I'm Lauren. I think I'm too involved. Not anymore now that I'm older, but like early twenties, I was like, yeah, I was Lauren. I was a Lauren friend. It's it's tough to be the Lauren. <laughs> They're like, he's a sucky guy. It's like, I hate that. Well, that's like the dumbest word and like the most, isn't that the mascara scene? No, that's uh, with Audrina when she's like, I just miss my friend. Oh my God. Aud- Audrina is so beautiful. Yeah. What do you think about Audrina? Because I think she's more boring than, I think most of the characters on the hills are like super boring people. So to me, it's really interesting to, to know it lasted as long as it did. And I give that to, like, the yeah. production and all of that. And we also didn't have other shows really to compare it to. No, you're in terms of Lauren's friends, Heidi kind of carried that on her back. Because, yeah, Lauren was pretty neutral. Audrina and Whitney were kind of, like, monotone, like, dead-in-the-eyes vibes at times. Where they just, like, I think maybe weren't super comfortable on camera. But, like, Heidi was interesting. Spencer was interesting. Brody and Kristen, when they came in, were interesting. Um, I, I don't know what happened to Frankie. Uh, that was kind of a, I didn't care for Stephanie. Um, but yeah, I think that what surrounded them was, oh, Justin Bobby, my God, I wanted to name my dog Justin Bobby. Um, I, yeah, so I, I think I, as a person, am probably a Lauren, but in a character, the type of thing I want to, media I want to consume is more of a strong personality, like a Kristen. But by the time she got to the hills, it was so fake. Right. I didn't answer the question. You asked me what I thought of Audrina. <laughs> she's just she's just there. She, I think she's beautiful and sweet, and I hope they were really friends. But, um, yeah, she didn't really, like, add or subtract much for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd agree. So I always say Brody Jenner has Peter Pan syndrome. What do you think of Brody Jenner? I met Brody Jenner two years ago at a nightclub, and he he was fine, but, like, you can tell he just gets pictures. People ask to take pictures of him all the live long, which I get, and I, but I still went for mine. It was, I'm, I'm going to shoot my shot. Um, but I have to say, he was gorgeous in person. I bet. He's not a person I'd ever say I was, like, attracted to or, like, a hall pass vibe. It's, I wouldn't really overthink it. But in person, I was like, wow, this he is extremely good looking. And um, I can see the, the charm and charisma. But yeah, Brody's fine. I think that my impression of him, I'm, I'm mixing up between Kardashians and the Hills at this point. I'm like, I don't even know where my impression of him kind of comes from. He was pretty antagonistic on the Kardashians. And then on the on the Hills, he just kind of fake dated Kristen, right? Yeah, and he always asks for hugs. Like, if you were to rewatch The Hills, as I'm doing for the podcast, obviously, every episode he's like, where's my hug? He's the where's my hug guy. Yes. Oh, my gosh, that guy. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> all know that guy. Almost as bad as shots guy. <laughs> Did you, I know you're in Chicago, so mm-hmm. you must love Jay Cutler. Um <laughs> Did you ever watch Very Cavallari? I did watch Very Cavallari. I, there was a time when the cast party was near my old apartment, and I took my sister to it. And we watched in a bar, and the whole cast showed up besides Kristen or NJ. And I'm like, uh, you know, Shannon, God bless. I'm not here for you. They did the exact uh, same thing in Nashville. Yeah, it was just the ancillary cast members, and it cracked me up. But speaking of people that are mind-blowingly attractive in person, Brittany, her friend, I was like, oh, my gosh, she was she was stunning. And they were all very nice. And uh, anyways, I like 
I love going out of my way to go to cheesy things where you can meet people in person. I just love to observe them in the wild. But the show itself, I thought the entire reason people liked it was was Jay because he's such a curmudgeon and it was so much inadvertent comedy. And I just thought Kristen, as a person who ran an e-commerce business, all of the drama was so solvable. And that's what drove me crazy about that show. They'd be like, oh, my God, we're not putting the items people order in the shipping boxes. And I'm like, print fulfillment. She's like, print, print a sales receipt. Just like place it by the label it just it just doesn't she was acting like things were problems that just don't exist and I that was real was so- that was actually a real life thing and like when I found really? out because I asked somebody who worked there I'm like was that fake and they were like no people were really sending empty boxes and I'm like so were they stealing <laughs> it's 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 incomprehensible yeah. <laughs> how easy it would be to be solved solved and yeah, I, I watched it the first couple seasons, but the last one, I, I, I mean, I think Justin Anderson seems fun, but, like, I just wasn't, I don't think that friendship can anchor an entire, like, season. Mm-hmm. And and the fallout with Kelly, that th- I know you hate this, too. It's like, you sign up for this, and then this major drama happens. You leave us hanging because it all happened off camera, and then we're just, like, left wondering with weird interactions, and, and I, I just don't really get what happened there. Yeah, I guess that whole fight for me, I'm like, it sounds like this could end with a phone call. Like, if you guys just, like, called one another, it would be over. Because she seemed, it was like, the chip on her shoulder is people used her for filming, right? And that Kelly didn't explicitly shut down rumors of her cheating with Jay. I always thought if Jay was going to cheat, it would be with Reagan. Yeah, a lot of people said that. A lot of people actually, they were like, do you think he's hooked up with Reagan? I'm like, well, I know he hasn't. And like rewatching, I was kind of like, I was kind of like, yeah, I guess I could see that weird tension. Yeah, I mean, I just I think I saw a blind item about it, and I don't really look at those anymore. But I thought like, oh god, that would be horrible. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to think of how long Jay and Kristen were together. They have three kids. Like, I kind of wonder if they diverged politically. To be honest, like they just kind of have different values at the end of the day. Hence the chicken content, you know. <laughs> Did you ever see them in like in Chicago at all? Never. No. And I'm so curious uh, what she did here and who she hung out with here. Yeah, because I've heard like Chicago does not like Kristen from like people who've lived there for a while. They're like, yeah, Chicago just never vibed with Kristen. And I'm like, the whole city? Just not not <laughs> for her? <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I've never heard that. And I don't, I don't even know where she lived or what she did, but... I'd imagine, yeah, it was a little bit isolating. She was, like, in the suburbs, I think. You know, he played football. Grew up in Illinois, uh, like, the Chicago area, and I thought she moved to Laguna Beach High in mid-high school, uh, which I always thought, like, oh, did she move for filming? But I guess not. But for I just think of myself growing up in, like, the Chicago burbs and then moving to LBHS. Like, what a strong departure. I can't even imagine what that was like. I know. Of course, she had to be a bitch to survive. <laughs> Survival of the bitchiest. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so this is pro. I do bopper flops every Wednesday. It's like just put up okay. random songs, and somebody actually I put up the song "Where Have All the Cowboys Gone" by Paula Cole. Oh yeah. And someone was like, "That is a compromise song. That is a song that like you can play with your mom. You can listen to. You can both kind of bop to it." And they asked me what other songs I think are compromise songs, and I was kind of like, "I feel like Kate would be good for this." Like, do you? Can you remember any songs specifically that your mom or parent 
wouldn't listen to and then some that they were kind of like okay fine we can listen to this oh my god every song like I (laughs) (laughs) my sister is four years older than me so she could get the albums I couldn't so I'd have to sneak them from her and my parents hated uh Tragic Kingdom No Doubt which I listened to all the time they hated Jagged Little Pill for obvious reasons (laughs) um I mean, if I think about being at middle school dances and nests too close, just being being about like grinding and a dude, <laughs> it's just like, what? How are these songs appropriate? And I think that I grew up in a magical era with a lot of inappropriate hip hop R&B modified for top 40 radio that was painful for my parents. Uh, but as long as it was radio, I kind of could pass it. And the one thing I do remember is little things like, being in the backseat and having access to a mute button and Natalie and Bruglia's torn would come on and I would mute out the word naked. Like that's like, that's where we were lying <laughs> <laughs> naked on the floor. Uh, so yeah, I mean, my parents weren't that strict, but I think they definitely were mindful of the media I consumed given the explicit nature. But I, I like think about, you know, walking in on your eight year old watching the Fiona Apple criminal video. It's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. Yeah, uh, but the songs, I'm trying to think for the, you, so since you said, uh, is it Paula Cole that sings Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Oh, it's Paula Cole. Paula Cole. Paula Cole also sings the Dawson's Creek. I Don't Want to Wait, right. I Don't Want to Wait. Great and Grocery. I would liken her to a Sean Colvin, A Sunny Came Home. Such great grocery store music, honestly. Oh, absolutely. It's it's the It's the songs that, are so distinct that they worked in their time, but you heard so much that you never actually do want to hear them again. Or like Joan Osborne, one of us. Yeah, yeah. My poor mom. I made her listen to like Spill Canvas when I was going through my emo phase. And I'm like, <laughs> do you like this song, All Hail the Heartbreaker? She's like, it's fine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you don't get it. Yeah. As for now, I'm going to hear the saddest songs and sit alone and wonder how you're making it out. <laughs> I I'm like, Mom, do you like Dashboard Confessional? She's like, it's better than rap. Like, that was always her thing. She's like, it's not rap. <laughs> I know. It's, it, there's an uphill battle being a life, like a lifelong fan of pop culture under the watchful eye of parents. Because you've been into, I find the people that love pop culture, as I witness you do, you've been into this your entire life. Like, you've always wanted the scoop, right? Yeah, so third grade, my mom asked me what I wanted to be, and I said a paparazzi. <laughs> I watched so much like VH1 and MTV and like my grandparents used to take the people magazines from like their doctors and I would just take them and I'd be like, this is what I want to (laughs) do. That is actually hilarious and uh, admirable, if I'm honest, like that's specific. And I don't think I was, so you're probably younger than me. Paparazzi became, I feel like uh, more ubiquitous concept, like, or I guess for me in the Paris Hilton kind of Lindsay Lohan era, mm-hmm. is that kind of when you were into it, like mid aughts? Yeah, I guess so. But probably like younger than I should have been though, because I used to watch like the, you know, MVH1 used to do like beautiful lives. It would be like richest yachts in the world. And oh, I'd be in like fourth grade that. and I'd be like, yes. The Fabulous Life Of? Yeah, and it was the English guy who would narrate it. Yes. 
Yeah, so I was like Wait, just sorry. sitting there. Everyone's like, did you watch Rugrats? I'm like, no, I'm busy. I'm learning. <laughs> I know. That's like me watching the real world. Like my mom would come in and she'd be like, what is this? And I'd be like, mom, alcoholism. Ever heard of it? Ruthie's got it. <laughs> and like, so she's like, what are you talking I learned everything I know about the world of the real world. I feel like. So this is the perfect segue. If I was going to say seven reality stars slash C-list celebrities, but mm-hmm. five reality stars or C-list celebrities or TikTok stars or Instagram influencers, whatever, would you like to see in a real world type setting? Oh, wow. I know that's yeah, hard I mean, to write off the top of your head, but. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, that this is hard off the top of my head for several reasons. So you said influencers or reality stars? Yeah. Oh, wow. I can't. So, like, I'm so interested in the TikTokers, but Addison, it's funny because TikTokers aren't necessarily famous for personality, right? Like, it's a medium that doesn't require you to talk. It's more so visual. It's more so social entertainment. So while I'm drawn to the likes of an Addison and a Charlie, they could not have more endorsement deals right now. And I don't even think they'd be that interesting. Right. I would like to see a Mormon mommy blogger a la Rachel Parcell, yes. um, you know, fair in the real world New Orleans amongst the Bourbon Street. You know, like, I like a fish out of water story. Yeah. Honestly, I'd probably pick all the Scarlet sisters and just be like, can they just have a show? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever try out for reality TV or anything? No, never have, never tried. What The day I moved to New York, a girl in my sorority uh, came to stay at my apartment. She had an audition for For the Love of Ray J, but that's as close as oh I got. God. I was dropping her off in Times Square for that that elite tryout. Did she make it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Dark. <laughs> so sad for her. Very sad. Uh, But yeah, now have you? I have. I tried out for Real World. Um, I got like, yeah, I got pretty far, but then it was like just when they stopped allowing people to have fake IDs on the show. Because for a while, you could be like under 21, go to bars and kind of do whatever. Everyone was like a toddler. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like 20, and um, I would have turned 21 near the end of the season. But I got to like four rounds and then they're like, oh, wait, you're you're not old enough. And I was like, cool. Thanks for for this. That's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was annoying. And the next year they like called me. They're like, do you want to try out again? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, I feel like the part of the fun were the people under 21 that like had never been out in the world. You know, that's that's crazy. That they What city would it have been? I think it would have been the Portland season with Naya and Jordan and a few other people. Oh. Like one of the last real, authentic real world seasons. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think I watched Portland. Yeah, and I didn't drink then, so I thought that would have kind of been my niche. I would have been like, no, I don't drink. Like, I'm good. <laughs> or you could have pretend to be pretended to be wasted, but be like surveying people all the time and plotting your next next yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm like, I'll be whoever you want me to be. Just have me on the show. <laughs> I just think like the, it worked. The, the concept of the phone booth and the waiting in line for phone and the token girl from a small town on the phone with her boyfriend apologizing for cheating on him. Like those types of storylines worked in a cell phone free world. But I just the concept of not having contact with the outside world is just not realistic anymore. Yeah, that's actually really true. I guess I've never thought of that because I know they tried to do another like real world Vegas, but it was on Facebook Watch. Wait, I vaguely remember this. 
Yeah, I never watched it, but I do remember it was on Facebook Watch. <laughs> I think the hard part about being a pioneer is you almost have to embrace your role in, in starting something. And that at that time, it was groundbreaking and important and was like the, one of the first reality shows. But it's not a not doesn't mean it's a business model that will stand the test of time. And I just think they're better off sticking to the, you know, the, the canon and the importance of the originals. Right. Because I guess it would have to be like a big brother, like just lock them in their in the house. Yeah. And I feel like we've got Summer House. I have never watched Summer House, but I'm told I would love it. Oh, oh my God, you would love it. I'm envious of people that haven't ventured into Bravo shows that are low-key good that don't look like they'd be good. <laughs> so I just started watching, like, Real Housewives of New York this season. Like, Vanderpump Rules, I'm very new in. So Bravo, I haven't fully dove into it because I know I'd become obsessed. So that's why I'm like, no, let me just live, like, 15 years in the past. Like, that's better for me. Wait, that's so fascinating because I think I group you in with – you know, so many pop culture stands are Bravo-holics, and that's really interesting. So what would you consider your core competency pop culture-wise? I would say MTV shows, for sure. Yeah. I know them, like, pretty... Other than... I don't know Siesta Key, though. I don't watch that. Oh, I don't watch that either. It doesn't interest me. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I just know a lot of pop culture in general, but I don't know Bravo, so I don't know if that's... That's like a blind side to me. You know, I think you're in a better position. I think anytime you don't, I don't know, I think Bravo's about to reach tough times <laughs> in terms of relevance. Like, I just, I think the housewives model, now people get so famous, it's not really entertaining anymore. And I think it's better to have uh, range as it relates to pop culture. And it's like, if you have a steel trap memory, that's your core competency right there. It's just, you know, recalling things like Paula Cole music. <laughs> no, for sure. I was on a podcast and someone brought up um, the Disney movie Stallion of the Cimarron. I don't the know. Disney movie what? Stal- um, no, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron or whatever it's called. Do you know? <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, oh, Matt Damon does that voice. And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, Matt Damon. Anyway. <laughs> You're like, yeah, learned about the apartheid from The Color of Friendship. Yes. No big deal. <laughs> so one thing that I love that you do, you always post about screen names in Facebook albums. Yeah. Looking back on your screen names, what do you think is like prime AIM screen name that you had? Uh, there was one that I shared with a friend, which is a brave choice. Um, oh, and a wow. And family parentally controlled AOL. Uh, that was like I don't know two o two four, and to me that's just very charmingly late nineties. Like I don't know, like whatever. I I mean I had some bad. I had waffle seventy seven. I had crazy and cool with K's like K E W L. Like I I I really tried on a lot of hats as it relates to screen names and didn't really find my footing until I got, I graduated from young teen to mature teen in the AOL parental controls. So you're about 15, 16. (laughs) Yes. And then I just had one that was Katie May 87 until AIM died uh, when I was in college or like a little (laughs) after college. And what I wouldn't give to, to log in and check out my buddy list to look at people's buddy info, like what a treasure trove of culture that just disappeared. Absolutely. And how much time did you spend on away messages and creating that perfect buddy info profile? Oh, hours. I mean, 
we were limited in what we could do with style and format, but that didn't stop me. I really put a ton of thought into the content, even just in terms of, I think that's a funny thing too, is like, I've always liked being online. I love chatting on AIM. Mm -hmm. I loved keeping up with people's profiles. I loved screen names. I loved seeing who logged on and off strategically. Like I've just always been interested in people and especially in this digital format. And I would spend a lot of time trying to find the perfect quote, whether, you know, uh, she only drinks coffee at midnight when the moment is not right and the timing is quite unusual. You see, her confidence is tragic, but her intuition magic. This is a train quote from Meet Virginia that has nothing to do with a <laughs> teenager didn't even drink coffee. Um, but like, her confidence is tragic, but her intuition magic. I think you know you're an emo fan. You, those you feel like those lyrics are written for you when you have an uncomplicated life. It's funny to look back on. I always put Low by Kelly Clarkson when I was fighting with my friends. <laughs> that chorus, I'd just like put it up there and I'd be like, who's going to see it first? <laughs> Have you ever been low? Oh my God, Kelly Clarkson, um, because of you. Yes. Kelly because Clarkson in general. I am a big Kelly Clarkson fan. Okay, I went to a concert of hers last year, strangely with low expectations. My God, did she deliver. I went to that. Was it the one with Kelsey Ballerini? Did yes. She, I was at that concert in Nashville and no one would go with me. So I bought pit tickets for myself. <laughs> oh, I love a concert solo. <laughs> so you're a big like fan on. So, so a lot of people ask me, you know, I moved to Nashville by myself and they're like, how do you go to things alone? But you just said you love going to concerts alone. And what about that is like just magic for you? I think that people use your pop culture preferences to make a snap judgment about you as a person and the things you like are important to you and are an intimate thing and I think losing your mind over like yeah listening to behind these hazel eyes at a Kelly Clarkson concert there are a few people in this life I want to be there with me (laughs) it's like my sister and like a couple close friends because if you're not into it it's hard to understand but like it means a lot to me to hear the things I love live and uh, nobody's paying attention to you at a concert. There's no reason to be self-conscious. And I don't know. I just think it's a magical experience where you can kind of just really be in the moment and enjoy it and not worry about the person next to you being like, why is she so into Breakaway? <laughs> why is she sobbing while listening to right. Breakaway? Like, Did you see the Princess Diaries? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever lived in a small town in fifth grade and just wanted to break away? Right, exactly. Did she sing It's Quiet Uptown at your concert? Um, Honestly, I feel like I blacked out. I was so excited. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I was just like so excited. We should like find a way to go to super mainstream artists show sometime when events are back up. I love going with mega fans. I just don't know a lot of mega fans, hence why I have a solo podcast. I get it. I get it. I mean, speaking of super famous pop culture people, I know you are a Taylor Swift fan, as am I. Mm-hmm. I am. Once someone was like, <laughs> they're like, you're almost 30. You should stop loving Taylor Swift. I'm like, first of all, I'm never going to stop. But what <laughs> is it about her that you like so much? Because I know you've done a lot of podcasts about Taylor, about her music, all of that. But what is it about her that makes you a fan, I guess, like favorite songs, favorite lyrics. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but yeah, it's kind of hard to synthesize because I just think she's a, a really strong artist, a strong lyricist, uh, makes hit after hit after hit and has 
not only produced such incredible music that has served as like the soundtrack to my life, she's had a you know, hand in making all of it, or she were, these, she were the only hands writing some of it. And beyond that, she's fought for artists to have better compensation for their work. She's really like, I just think a, she's strong in her craft period at the end. Uh, but beyond that, I think she created this marketing machine that's truly fascinating where her, her entire, you know, up until now, or up until, I guess, reputation, really, it was this whole charade of, of dropping clues and essentially building treasure maps and secret codes and lyrics and kind of giving her fans this really exciting, uh, you know, kind of puzzle to try to figure out that there's probably no answer to but the attempt in, in solving it is more consumption of her music of her product and it's a brilliant from a marketing standpoint to solicit that level of engagement with her fans where she gives a little and you try to put the pieces together yourself and i was relieved when she admitted in that billboard article that like she was the one sitting at conference room tables like orchestrating the marketing of this because i always knew that and that's what i was always trying to explain to people it's mm-hmm. like this stuff doesn't just fall out of the sky. It's so strategic. But you also shouldn't judge a woman for strategically promoting her business. That's what she should do. Um, and, yeah, it's it's. I think that she's just seems like a nice person. She's good to fans. She's charitable. She. I just think she overall nets positive in a world where so many pop stars don't and retreat and really don't give a lot and just feel so limited by their own fame. And I think Taylor's experienced that in recent years. But I think that, um, yeah, her her music is just, it, it means a lot to me because I've just grown up with it, I guess. Because she's, I mean, what, two, maybe two years younger than me. So I just kind of lived it with her. Other than All Too Well, because most people say All Too Well is their number one song. What would you say your top, let's say, seven Taylor Swift songs? And I know that they can change with however you're feeling. Because you're right down. I have this issue, too. I'm always like, well, if I'm sad, it's these. If I'm happy, it's these. But right. there are a few staples that stay there. Well, yeah, I'm like, are we going for my favorite bridges, my favorite songs of Burrell, the most sensory? So, yeah, all too well, obviously. I think the unsung hero of Speak Now that's very similar to all too well in storytelling is Last Kiss. Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful, sad song. I think the, the uh, bridge in Dear John is unparalleled, shining like fireworks over your sad, empty town. Um, I think the unsung hero of Reputation, which is actually maybe my favorite album, which I know is controversial. Me too. Really? I never meet people that like rap that much. My least favorite's controversial. 1989? Yep. So it's funny because 1989, at the time I was like, this is my favorite. But now in retrospect, I'm like, I was intoxicated (laughs) by the novelty. Yeah. And I think that... I was like so pumped. She was in, into pop. I the first time I listened to Blank Space, it, it, t- it took over my body. I was like, this this is a pop. This is the definition of a pop hit. Like I loved Blank Space and style and stuff. But the strength of 1989 were the bonus tracks. I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think Reputation has so much depth, and it's a time of her life we know very little about. There's a lot of room for interpretation and. I, I don't know. I think I'm a, I'm a moodier person that just likes the vibe. But yeah, I, I think one of my top top and my intro song at like live shows is Don't Blame Me because I love pop gospel. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is when you said you were intoxicated, like when 1980, I thought you were going to end it there. And I was like, oh, yeah, you were just like drunk and partying to it. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I blacked out for two years. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's a squad? Tell me everything. <laughs> it's funny, 1989, that's the first album I liked all her lead singles. But, like, other than that, most of the songs, other than, like, New Romantics, didn't do a ton for me. New Romantics, so good. Wonderland, so good. But And Out of the Woods, I think, is, is pretty strong. Uh, it doesn't get a ton of credit. But, yeah, it, it's, um, I think, too, I, I can't, I can't even, her country music is important, and, like, Love Story will always be a really important song to me, but I almost can't even throw uh, Fearless and self-titled into the mix because it's just it's a country version of her i just don't i almost disassociate okay uh but i love i mean but there's so many iconic songs like love story and and you belong with me i love this song called um the way i loved you that's my number two taylor song we have so much in common look at us we really do and i'm my rankings are all over the place and i really need to sit sit down one one (laughs) afternoon and flesh this out a little bit more cleanly but uh yeah, I, I'm glad to hear because sometimes people really go hard for, uh, especially Red, people really go hard for. And Red was great and had this outstanding storytelling and songwriting, but um, as to quote her, not me, it wasn't sonically cohesive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I'd agree for sure. Like Haunted is probably my number one Taylor song. What? I love that song so much. If I'm in a bad mood, I play that and I just like, sing it and it just brings me back to being however old I was when that came out but like driving around just like scream singing in my shitty beat up car and I'm like yeah I feel this oh yeah I I love I've never heard somebody say haunted was their favorite song and I want to listen to it again through a new lens because it's those non-singles on the older albums you don't always revisit um, but that typically are the ones that if you get into them at the time mean the most to you because that's where the deep cuts are. Right. Death by a Thousand Cuts. Brilliant bridge. Also, how do you feel about Cruel Summer? I, th- uh, I think it's really, really good. I think it's not the best song on Lover, but people really love it. Uh, my favorite song is Cornelia Street. Um, oh, yeah. So good. And Death by a Thousand Cuts. Those are like my two. But Cruel Summer is great. But people like hold on to it really, really tight. Kind of like Getaway Car. Like I really liked Getaway Car. But I liked New Year's Day the best off Reputation. So it's uh-huh. kind of, or like I did something bad. So it's, I don't uh-huh. know. I don't know. I don't agree with most Swifties on most things. <laughs> Well, and you can't publicly air those opinions because they'll come they'll come for you. I was laughing earlier when somebody you said somebody said you're almost thirty. Shouldn't you stop listening? I'm like, do we have the same trolls? Exciting. That's what people say to me all the time. <laughs> probably, probably. And like, I I know you've dove into this, but I was talking about Kaler once, and someone was like, "How dare you even suggest that?" I'm like, "Well, listen, a lot of people suggest this. <laughs> it's on it's in Buzzfeed. It's in like Bustle articles. It's." The Killer Phantom is really interesting because, on the one hand, I, I give a lot of credit to this the level of research, yeah, these, that people have done, and and I think it's there's a lot of very valid points, and I my my whole thing has always been like you should listen to music, and it could be about absolutely anything, and that should be fine. And um, when people get mad about that theory, it's interesting to me because it doesn't incite me. Anyway, I think it's, if anything, it's uh, cool to think that we know so little about her life that we really just can openly, freely interpret her music, especially, I think, too, when people reject any sort of 
queer interpretations of any music. It's like, well, representation is important. And if you glean that from a song, then you should. Like, it, you know, it's not offensive. I think that everyone interprets things differently. And uh, yeah, I've definitely been come after hard for that on both sides. At the end of the day, it's like, I don't really care. Like, it doesn't <laughs> affect my life. I just like to shoot the shit about pop culture. But then people from fandoms really uh, do not like uh, fair weather <laughs> sharers of theories because I'll back out of it as soon as I got into it. <laughs> right. I mean, t- Twitter's a whole different beast. Like, just people on Twitter all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm scared. <laughs> oh, I don't even get on, uh, no. I, I don't get on Twitter. It's... It, I, I just feel like social media can be very, yeah, anxiety-inducing place, <laughs> selectively. Have you watched... Check, but Twitter is some of the worst. Have you watched the Paris Hilton documentary? I stayed up all night, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, I, I saw your it. story. I saw your story. <laughs> what did you think about it? I thought it was fascinating. I think that I just really associated her with some kind of vapid, infantile, uh, superficial person that didn't have much substance, and I think I'm always learning and evolving in terms of how I perceive public figures that are women and the unfair biases I project onto them and hearing about her trauma at the troubled girls school in Utah, hearing about, uh, kind of her, I don't know. It's like the, the whole movie, the whole documentary, it was just nice to get to know her and hear her talk on a more personal level. But then toward the end, it really came full circle in terms of like, I know what it's like to have everything taken from me. So I like to see all my things in front of me, even if I don't use them, we're like, there it is. You know what I mean? Like we were having revelations, like important emotional revelations. And I was here for it. And I thought it was moving. I I really enjoyed hearing from Nikki, too, who seems very grounded and level headed and like a good sounding board. Um, I thought the scene from Tomorrowland was crazy. That was wild. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was really just interesting and it made me think very differently about her and the sex tape thing made me feel awful, especially because I, it almost became pop culture, you know, there was a ubiquitous knowledge that she like leaked it herself, right? Yeah. That's what I always thought. I guess I always thought I didn't realize she was only 18. And I guess when I, I watched it too. And like, when I heard she was only 18, I was like, holy shit, what? Like, that's what stuck oh, with yeah. me so much. And, like, hearing her speak in her real voice. And and then when she'd start to talk about her trauma, she'd put on her fake voice. I don't know if you caught that. But, like, she'd go back into the character she created to, like, try and escape the trauma that she was talking about. And just watching it back and forth, I was like, holy shit. You know? And it's almost sad she that these... So many women, I think of like Jessica Simpson, you play the dumb blonde to be liked. Oh, yeah. And that was something that back, you know, when in the early aughts was just like very acceptable for, you know, leadership at whatever media organization was your break to tell you to do. And it's really hard. It's hard to back out of. Like, I think the way you start is the way you finish so often and people don't let you evolve. People won't let Taylor Swift evolve from the squad goals you know, like man eater that she hasn't been like that in five, six years. But like once the public develops their opinion about you, it's hard to escape it. And I can now looking back, seeing how traumatic the sex tape was and the assumptions and how young she was and how vulnerable she was coming from that school um, and understanding like kind of the disassociative behavior of that she's almost had to do to not access that trauma. It's, it's sad, but it's an important thing for people to see, to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like everyone's just acting from their inner child, right? Like 
it's uh, good to see, especially a character that's so representative of like superficial pop culture. It's good to see her, even she had so many more layers than I ever thought. When you wrote your book, did you think of like Paris Hilton? Would you say she helped inspire it? Because she's like the no. OG influencer, I guess. I kind of don't consider her an influencer. Oh, okay. I, just, I my in the influencers I really am always thinking of are like like early twenty tens chevron wearing bubble necklace toting <laughs> chambray fur vest pumpkin patch bloggers that I just adore because I followed them so closely and Pinterest started in twenty ten and I got I mean I just I ate it up it was like I've loved celebrities my whole life and finally I had celebrities that didn't have the barrier of privacy their job was to open up not to leave us out on like traditional celebrities like a Paris Hilton um so I actually put those into different categories that I I even though she started it I would almost yeah consider her far more of a celebrity celebrities have influence and can be influencers but it's almost a square rectangle relationship right <laughs> no I actually agree with you now that you explain that Paris Hilton is a celebrity and you're right yeah. celebrities are influencers but she's and like She's more selling herself. Celebrities. What was that? Sorry. I had somebody that, that grew up in LA tell me once, like, if you're an actor or an actress, you decide if you want to be a celebrity. Like, famous and celebrity aren't the same. Yeah. And people make decisions in a PR sense and a positioning sense to take their um, career to a level where they involve themselves in public opinion to inflate their stardom. But you think of, you know... I don't know, like, what's an example of a person who's, who, like, Amy Adams, like, who's, the paparazzi aren't following her. She's in every Oscar-nominated film. Yeah, that's true. My first thought was, like, Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm like, I don't know, because, like, to me, he's, like, an iconic actor, but, like, I know nothing about him. Well, right, think of those iconic actors that are always in the front of the Oscars. Do you ever see paparazzi those them? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you would know it was one in, you know, at one point your aspiration that everything is orchestrated. Nothing is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> As a child, I knew. Yes, exactly. So while we wrap this up, thank you so much for, you know, coming on and talking. Um, what were your go-to mall stores? Like you walk into the mall, what store are you going to first? I think my... The biggest thing about the mall <laughs> is that you can't leave without buying something, right? Right. You got to have an aspirational store. You have to have an approachable store. <laughs> the two I would hit are Abercrombie and Bath and Body Works because okay. I realized with my allowance, the one thing I could always buy because I could never afford Abercrombie stuff was one singular hand sanitizer from a wooden barrel at the Bath and Body Works. And I spent a lot of time digging through those barrels, testing out the scents. It's very sensory for me. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I really love Bath and Body Works and um, Abercrombie. I just, the person I wanted to be. <laughs> and I loved the, like, I just sifting through the like, pervy sayings on the shirt and like, you know, they would look at people shopping to be like models and greeters. And that, that was so crazy to me. And I, I, yeah, I was obsessed with like popular kids and whatnot. So I think Abercrombie was like my escape, my aspiration. Bath and Body Works is my approachable. So what's your favorite Bath and Body Works scent? I'm a big, you know, this isn't popular, but I do like a Moonlit Path. Interesting. So I worked <laughs> at Bath and Body Works. I, 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 did. I did. I worked there. And I always like to, you know, I have to get a feeling on what your favorite BB Dub scent is. Oh, so I mean, 
I, I have a pulse. I love cucumber melon. Okay. Okay. Um, but Moonlit Path is my more controversial, muskier choice. That is a little bit bold for like a seventh grader. Yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> a very bold seventh grade scent. <laughs> at least I didn't say sun ripe and raspberry. That's like embarrassing. <laughs> we judged everyone who bought sweet pea. Yeah. We'd be yeah. like, oh, you must be new. <laughs> if somebody walks within a 50 foot radius of me, uh, having involved themselves with any sort of warm vanilla sugar, I'm like, <laughs> I, 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 I could, that is such a distinct, weird smell that I don't understand why people want to smell like that. Yeah, I work with like, there's a bunch of cubicles and someone had a sweet pea hand sanitizer and it was like, I got triggered. I was like, she's using sweet pea. I know it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's been like eight Sorry, years. Sir. I'm like, I know, I know what that scent is. <laughs> what is your, what was your signature scent? Um... I really liked white citrus, which is very bland. And then they had one. I don't know if it's still there, but it was beautiful day. It was more like a DKMY green apple type smell. And that's been my go-to scent forever, forever. Scent. That sounded weird. I should have said like spray. (laughs) My signature scent. (laughs) My signature odor is. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But... Thank you so much for coming on, talking nostalgia, talking, you know, Paris Hilton, reality TV, Taylor Swift, everything that I love. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everything you do. Do you have, I know you do be there in five every week. Do you have anything else you're working on? You know, I'm working on stuff, not like a secret project way, but like, you know, I'm just always trying to like write stuff and figure out my next step. So I'm definitely writing another book. Um, TBD, but for now I'm podcasting and I do a little freelancing on the side and uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, it, it's been exciting kind of venturing more into the pop culture world. And I love talking to people like you because you're so easy to talk to and you have the same reservoir of knowledge. And it's hard when like you have people on and you want to have like fun niche conversations, but it's just not there. Um, so I need to have you on my podcast because we should. I'm going to use you as my um, retainer, like when I just want to be able to. Uh, go into like 90s 2000s rabbit holes it's fun talking to somebody who knows so much yeah absolutely Um, I'd have a blast I would love that but yeah if I didn't even answer your question I just wanted to tell you I love what you do as well (laughs) thank you but yeah you can find me on Instagram at be there and five my podcast is um be there and five